This sermon audio is presented to you by Pastor Tommy Brandon and Calvary Church of Fort Worth. For more information, visit our website at calvaryftw.com. PM, let's get started here. The core. I considered doing business recently with someone, and something just kind of got a hold of my gut. This was about three weeks ago, and I just knew that I needed to do a little bit more research on the on the, on the service provider, and I made a few phone calls to some references that he provided, and it did not take me long to find out that he struggled in an area of honesty, and I was thankful <laughs> that I just kind of scratched around and looked into the situation before I got in too deep and would have been another bad review for his future business, so I was thankful that I took the time and, and researched it out just to find out that that particular service really tells the story of humanity. Humanity struggles in keeping their word. The one sitting next to you, you could be married 15 years. Your parents that you've known your entire life. Your pastor. You name it. If it's a living, breathing human, we struggle with always, 100% of the time, keeping our commitments that we make. This is the difference between God and man. You may have been burned by people. You may have been uh, let down and disappointed by people. But you cannot run your trust of God through the filter that you run, run it through with trusting people. Numbers, chapter 23 verse 19 from the Living Bible. I need a big amen on this first statement. God is not a man that he should lie. Hey everybody, men will let you down. Politicians, preachers, school teachers, ball coaches, you name it. Anybody that you feel like is in a a role model setting line of authority, I promise you it's been proven time and time again people are people and people are not perfect. Can I get an amen? But God is not a man that he should lie. Now this is really exciting. It goes on to say that he doesn't change his mind like humans do. I've seen people change their mind in marriages. I've seen people change their mind in church commitments. I've seen people change their mind in, 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 in keeping policies and procedures. People change their mind. People have a tendency to back up on their word. But God doesn't. And I love how Numbers 23, 19 comes to a conclusion. Has he ever promised without doing what he said? Of course, the answer is no. While we struggle with character, integrity, trustworthiness, while we struggle in these areas, he's written the syllabus for it. He's the professor of the class in it. God sets the bar of truth. And the Bible says to buy the truth and to sell it not. Can I get an amen? Let's go further with this. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 17. Hebrews 6 and verse 17. When God made his promise to Abraham, he backed it to the hilt. Putting his own reputation on the line. He said to Abraham, and I want to push pause there and tell you that you and I are the seed of Abraham. May this same promise made to Abraham come into your faith this morning. He said to Abraham, I promise that I'll bless you with everything I have. Bless and bless and 
blessed. But here's the secret to God's promises coming to fruition in your life. Abraham stuck it out and got everything that had been promised to him. A lot of people think that the promises of God are like the love of God. The love of God is without condition. The love of God for you, there's no strings attached to it. But you can take this to the bank that the promises of God definitely come with strings attached. You cannot expect the promises of God on your life if you do not know them, understand them, and pursue them. It's not just going to happen. But yet Abraham stuck it out. He got all the promises of God that were made to him. And this is what's the difference between God and man. It says when people make promises, they guarantee them by the appeal to some authority above them. So that if there is any question that they'll make good on the promise, the authority will back them up. Has anybody ever had a a co-signature on a loan? We're going to give an altar call in just a minute. There's a bunch of lying folk in here. You know you've had daddy sign a line of credit for you back when you were 16. Uh, here's Here's the thing. A lot of times a bank will say, I like you. I got some confidence in you, but I don't believe you wholeheartedly. I need somebody that's got a little bit more, a little bit more wealth, a little bit more clout a little bit more influence, a little bit more substance. I'm going to need someone else to confirm the debt that's owed just in case you hit a foul ball in life and you can't make the note. That's how people keep their promises, right? Hey, uh, I'm going to take out this $5,000 signature loan, but I'm going to have my grandfather sign on it just in case. God doesn't need anyone else's signature. How do I know? This is what it says. That's how people do things. But when God wanted to guarantee his promises, he gave his word a rock-solid guarantee. God can't break his word. And because his word cannot change, the promise is likewise unchangeable. Do you realize from cover to cover in the Bible, there's over 3,570 promises recorded. From Genesis to Revelation, of course, not written in chronological order, but the promises are there found for you, the believer. But if our faith is going to be elevated and if our relationship is going to increase with God, we need to do these things, these three things. We need to know what those promises are. We need to understand those promises. And we need to pursue them. If you know them, that's good. If you understand them, that's better. But we go from good to great when we pursue the promises of God. I believe that if you were to see a tree with beautiful branches full of foliage and, and, and it's just beautifully decorated by the creator of God, the creator God, I would believe that it, the, the system that you really want to get familiar with is not the branches and the leaves, not even the trunk, but where is it all coming from? Find the root of it. Well, all these 3,500 promises of God are found in what I call the core, the root of all the promises of God. Turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6. Wherefore say unto the children of Israel. Verse number 6 rather. I apologize. Chapter 6 and verse 6. Wherefore say unto the children of Israel. I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. 
I will rid you out of their bondage. And I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. I will take you to me for a people and I will be to you a God. And ye shall know that I am the Lord your God which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I want you to say something else with me today. Say God has promised that he will bring me out. That's our first promise of God that brings forth all of these other beautiful promises in Scripture. Bring me out. Bring me out of what? Bring you out of sin. All around our church campus, on literature that you've been given, on signs in the hallway, all throughout our social media sites, all throughout our website, you will see the term taught in growth track, which of course starts today. I, I know that this service has got several people today that you're, you're, you want to know more about this local church. You want a further relationship. Here is the path to doing that. When this service is over, let us treat you to lunch. Allow us to treat your children to lunch. And we'd love to spend about 30 minutes with you after this service is concluded. Right behind these, this wall, outside these doors, you're going to hear these, this type of terminology used. We believe that the promise of God is that you can know God. A lot of people struggle with this. I, I know religion. I know church. Those things are good. But how much better would it be to get to know God? And God promises the way to know him is for you to take him up on his word and allow him to take you out of sin. This passage of scripture reveals a really dark hour in Israel's history. Things are not, they're not on the mountaintop. This is a bad portion of their history. Because they are in Egypt and they are enslaved to the Egyptians. Their whole day, it's on repeat. They wake up, make bricks, go to bed. Wake up, make bricks, go to bed. Every single day. They're mistreated, they're beaten, they're starved. Wake up, make bricks, go to bed. Why am I emphasizing this? This literally is what sin does to us. Sin enslaves humanity to the point where you are no longer free. When you are born into sin... When you're shaping, as the Bible says, in iniquity, the separation of God, you're not calling the shots for your life. You're trapped. This is what Jesus said, according to John chapter 8, verse 34. Jesus himself uses these words. Anyone who chooses life of sin is trapped. Everyone say trapped. In what? A dead end life. Growing up in southwest Louisiana, I was introduced to something that was a blast as a kid, and I haven't done it since I was an early teenager up through high school, but I was introduced to, to literally to trapping animals. I don't know if there's anybody that would be willing to admit that in this little city-fied group of people today, but I grew up trapping animals with steel traps, and we would go into a creek bottom and we would find the, the markings and the, and, the, and the footprints and the, and, the, and the sign 
of raccoons or nutri rats or predators like bobcats and coyotes. And, and we would take these Victor brand steel traps and we would pry them open, stake them down into a, an area, and then we would camouflage them. We would put some leaves over them. Every now and then we would even bait them. We would put corn around or something like that. All in the hopes of trapping this wild critter. Critter. <laughs> trapping this wild critter. And every now and then, you know, you know this, in your circle of friends, you always have one friend that's like, you know, he's just one taco shy of a full pack. Not the sharpest tool in the box. There's always that one friend that you just wonder, was he dropped as a child? It's just something's not firing on all the cylinders. Something's just different. Well, we had this one boy that used to run around with us, and we'd be down, and we'd drive that stake in deep, and we'd chain that trap up, and we'd get it all camouflaged up. And then, oh, yahoo, he would walk around, and he'd say, Where, where's the trap? Hey, don't get near the trap. Well, what is it, right here? Don't, don't touch the trap. You're going to lose a finger. Well, what, what is it, right here under these leaves? And boom, that trap would shut Luckily, he never lost a finger. He probably should have lost two or three in time, but he never lost one. You can't play around with the trap. And Jesus says, the men and the women and the boys and the girls and all the people that live in sin are trapped in a dead-end life. Now, before you think I'm that kind of preacher that likes to profile people and judge people, you don't know me well. But I will tell you that I have done life with people and I've spent time with people and I've tried my best with certain people and I've gone the distance with people, but unfortunately, they're trapped in a dead-end life. The drugs have got them so wore out that it's a dead-end life. The alcohol soaked, they consume so much of it, they're in a dead-end life. They just continue to cheat and lie and... And, and have affair after affair and, and steal and, 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 and they're just trapped. They're trapped. And the ultimate, listen to me everybody, the destination of sin is always death. You're trapped in a dead end life. And the Israelites, they were trapped. They were enslaved. They were enslaved rather. It left them empty. Not only were they enslaved to the Egyptians, they were empty. Empty of food in their bellies, but empty also of a future. Never in a million years would they think that anything better is ever going to happen for us. Why? Because it was, on, it was a loop, man. Their life was a loop. Wake up, make bricks, go to bed. Wake up, make bricks, go to bed. Wake up and being beaten the whole time and being told when to eat and when not to eat and being told what to do and what not to do. They were just being controlled every single day and they were empty of all future Goals, dreams, vision, they were empty. And to make things worse, just when they would not be able to dream that life was ever going to be better, Pharaoh come along and said, you know, I, 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 sense, I sense like they're putting their hope in the next generation. So Pharaoh came along and he started taking the life of every newborn baby. Just to drive the nail deeper of slavery into their hearts. To give them the understanding it's never going to get better than it is. You're going to do this every day for the rest of your life. And the next generation's life. Those that I allow to remain. So they were enslaved. They were empty. And if there's anybody in this room that, 
that, that's ever dabbled with a life of sin, you know what sin does too. It leaves you exhausted. Sin leaves you wore out, man. It leaves you broke. In my mind, creating these notes this week, which I, I went back to the last three years and I just kind of saw what God was speaking through me in 15, 16, 17 as I taught this very subject matter, but a little bit different ways every year. I realized there was a consistency of this. Sin has a tendency to spend all of your money. Sin has a tendency to leave you without any rest. Sin, you name it. You don't need me to, to take a pencil and draw out what sin is. You know what it is. It, all, it looks different in every heart, but it's still going in the same direction. It leaves you weary. It leaves you depleted. And God is saying to the Israelites, hey, you're my sons and daughters. I know you're enslaved. I know you're empty of all future hopes and dreams and vision. And I know good and well you're exhausted. Pharaoh's making you even gather your own straw to make the bricks that will never be your bricks. You're left empty and exhausted. But he also made him a promise. There is coming a better way. And there's going to be a better day. And just as I opened up with, God is not a man that he should lie. If he made the promise that there was going to be a better way, you could count on it. There was going to be a better way. And he kept his word. It's revealed in the book of John, chapter number 3 and verse 16. If you know it, say it with me. For God so loved the world. Slaves, the beaten, the hungry. The depleted, God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Someone clap your hands to the Lord this morning. Well, if he promises me, if he promises me, Hector, that I can know him. How can I know him? Tell me, pastor. Tell me, preacher. How can I know him? If, if I know that I can take him at his word, then what do I get? How do I get there? Because I feel like I'm one of those slaves. I don't think I call the shots in my life anymore. The alcohol's got a hold of me. The drugs are calling the shot. And whether you think, is that possible? Trust me. This service right now is full of men and women that are out of control in their lives. And you may think in this church, yes, in this church, because it's full of people. I love it when people tell me all the time, and, and I'll say this with arrogance, okay, please don't misunderstand my attitude when I say it. I love it though when people go, man, we're so glad we found this church. It's perfect. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, there's people here. There's no such thing as perfect. Because people are enslaved. People are empty. People are exhausted. They're singers. They're preachers. They're ushers. They're guests. They're people. And God is saying to people, 
God's saying to pastors, God's saying to plumbers, electricians, and school teachers, and, and he's saying to doctors, and he's saying to paralegals, and he's saying to unemployed and employed, he's saying to blacks and whites, he's saying to elderly and young, he's saying to male and female, I will bring you out of that, and I will allow you to get to know me. Well, tell us the rest. How do we do it? You need to get real familiar with these two words. Repent. Everyone say repent. Oh, I'm, I'm putting it together. He's one of them hellfire and brimstone dudes. He's about to go off. He's about to tell me I can't do this and I can't do that. You can do whatever you want. But if you want to get to know him, you're going to have to add something else to your to-do list. Repent and confess. So back in my youth pastor days, Pastor Manny, before before you and before Anthony, I was pretty good at student ministry. But then Anthony changed everything, and now you're making both of us look pretty bad. In youth ministry, I would teach repentance this way. If this is the direction that you're heading, you don't have to overcomplicate repentance. You don't need a commentary. You don't need a master's of divinity. If this is the direction I'm heading, and it's leading to where? Sin always leads to where? Death. Then at some point, I'm going to have to come to my senses like a prodigal son, and I'm going to have to pivot. I'm going to have to stop, consider, this isn't going well. I don't have any money. I don't have any time. I don't have any friends. I don't have any joy. I don't have any happiness. I don't have my health. I'm, I'm being threatened I'm going to be let go because I can't wake up in time because last night it, it was a little long. This is not going well. Or maybe this is the type of sin. I've got a lot of money. I've got a lot of friends. <laughs> this is really awesome. But yet there's something missing in here. Whatever your stint is, whatever your bent is, this isn't working. And repentance, Brother Craig Stevenson, is real easy. Stop. This isn't working. Turn and go another direction. What's the other direction? Towards the promises of God that have strings attached. What doesn't have strings attached is the love of God. How do I know that? All it takes is a pivot and a turn, and like the prodigal, you're going to find your heavenly father not standing there camped out holding a whatchamacallit in a Mountain Dew. He's actually running towards you. Hungry for your heart. Desperate for your love. All he's been doing for eternity is looking for someone to stop and pivot and turn. And as soon as you turn, your heavenly father's there with big, gigantic, crazy open arms. And you can see all of heaven rejoicing because it leads us now to the second word of confession. Confession. Romans 10 verse 9 says that if you'll confess with thy mouth that the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Everyone say, thou shalt be saved. 
This is the Bible talking. Thou shalt be saved. But what about that word repentance a while ago? 2 Corinthians 6 verse 17 says, you're going to have to come out from among them. Who? All the other slaves. You're going to have to get tired of doing what you've always done that's not working. And you're going to have to come out from among them and be separate, be different. Repent. Everyone say repent and confess. And now I find myself facing the promises of God, the promise of salvation, the promise of healing, the promise of deliverance. He said, I will bring you out. And now I'm face to face with my Savior. And I give you two more things to consider. The word is surrender. Because here is where I don't have a percentage. I don't have a, 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 a pew study. But just as a pastor, okay, I've never done the math on it, but just as a pastor, a good guess here, would this be about, this is probably going to be about 50% of all Christians. They pivot, they confess, but they never surrender. They're always torn, Alan. They don't want that, but they can't go all in here. They can't fully surrender. Mark chapter 8 verse 34 in the message, anyone who intends to come to me, who is, how are they coming to him? They've pivoted, they've repented, they've confessed, he's excited, all of heaven's rejoicing and they're coming, the candidate is coming and the Bible says, whoever intends to come to me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat, the message says, I am. That's when you get the keys out of your own life's control. Toss him the keys. And let him not just become savior in your life, but let him become Lord. Everybody wants Jesus as a savior. But God's plan and purpose is that everybody makes Jesus Lord. Meaning that he gets to call the shots. Meaning that he's driving the bus. Meaning that he's taking you somewhere that you can't go on your own. Somewhere better than you've ever been before. I told this in the first service. I've got to be quick here. I told this in the first service today. And I'm glad that my friend Billy Hughes is here in this second. Because it, I, I told a story about you today, Billy. Billy and I were meeting together recently over breakfast. And he shared something with me that just, I was, it was a wow factor moment. I said, Billy, that is so good. And he said, well, well take it, dude. Take it and make it your own. And I said, Billy, it's so good they'll know it's not mine. It's too good. It's not mine. Let me share with you what he said. And I'm going to give you scripture for it. All of us have been a kid at some point in the back seat of a parent's car or a guardian's car as they were driving. And we were looking out the back window at grandma's house or... Or Six Flags or the ball game. And we were leaving the experience that we thought was the best thing ever. Family reunion, Christmas with cousins. Maybe not the best thing, but <laughs> this epic moment. And we're in the back seat as little ones. And we're watching it. Grandma's house is getting smaller. 
Mia, six flags is getting smaller. You know what I mean? Something cool. It's getting smaller. And we're sad the whole time because we, we don't want to leave it. But there's a moment. We all know it, especially us now that we're parents. We all know it. There's a moment. If we'll just keep driving, if we'll just hang in there. We turn around and we lean up to the front seat and we say, hey, when are we going to eat? Or we'll say, hey, hey, where are we going now? Because there's always a next. And good fathers always take it up a notch. God's plan and purpose for your life is for you to pivot, for you to repent, for you to confess, and for you to look in the rearview mirror of all of the stuff that you thought that you couldn't live without. For all of the stuff that you thought that you would never want to part ways with. Because it makes the flesh happy. It satisfies the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Everything about sin looks and appears, tastes and feels and smells good. But it leads to death. And the Heavenly Father is putting you in the seat, taking the keys from you, starting the car. He's in the driver's seat because he's wanting to take you somewhere that's better than you'll ever get to on your own. How do I know this? I'm done now. You ready? Romans 6, verse 19, New Living Translation. It doesn't, it's not going to get any better than this. It's not going to get any better. Because of the weakness of human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all of this. Paul says, previously, previously, you let your... Selves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Now, now that you've repented, confessed, surrendered, you're on the track, you're on the path to God. Now, you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. Everybody look up here real quick before I pray over you. When you're on this path of sin, Ryan, bad choice, bad choice, bad choice. It's snowballing. It's accumulating. It's growing. It's becoming not just a, a, a try it. Now it's an addiction. It's not just a let's see how that goes. Now it's a lifestyle. It takes us even deeper darker, more problems, more issues. And just as sin develops, when you pivot and confess and you surrender to God, it snowballs, it accumulates, it grows, it develops into what? Holiness. God's plan and purpose for your life is not just to save you. His plan and purpose for your life is for you to, to develop, mature, and grow and experience holiness like you've never dreamed possible. Where you're living a separated lifestyle from the world. To where when you pray, you're praying with all of faith. 
When you give, you're giving your very best. When you worship, nothing else is in the room and nothing else matters. Growing, developing in holiness. Let's stand together this morning. Egypt was a forced slavery. But relationship with God is a chosen slavery. To be a slave to righteousness and to grow into holiness. Two things. One of the things I'm going to say right now is just for a select group of people. The second thing I'm about to say is for every single person breathing in this room. And if no one's breathing, we need to know now. Here's the first one. Growth track. If you've never been through growth track, I want you to go through it today. Start now. Well, now. Today. Well, the chicken's in the crock pot. Okay. I've got a dog. You can bring it over tonight and we'll feed it to him. Boy, Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, it's going to be the Super Bowl of your life. We've got places to go. Nowhere more important. If you've never been through growth track, take your spouse, get your kids. If it's just you, whatever you have to do, start today. It's the first Sunday of February. Get off the fence. Settle this thing. Get in here. Do something with us for God. Here's the second thing that's for everybody in this room if you're breathing. If you're breathing, this is the week that you start your small groups. I've been thinking about, stop thinking. That's been dangerous for you all the way until now. Decide. Get into a group. In the lobby, got a monitor with groups. If you got a smartphone, download the app, choose a group. If you don't have either, go on the web. Go to the website, calvaryftw.com, choose a group. If you don't have any of that, find me. Get in a group. But isn't that just for the new people? Yes, new to groups. That means you. Get in a group this week. There's some that are just plumb easy. Go eat. You're going to do that anyway. Some of you have been doing a real good job at it. Go eat in a group. Pray. Some of you doing a real good job of that. Pray in a group. This week. Nudge him. Nudge him. Nudge him. Nudge him. I think he's talking to you. Nudge him. Tell him. I think he's talking to you. Get in a group. Let me pray over you. Bow your heads. Father, right now, I'm praying for a great response to growth track today. I'm praying right now for a great response to groups today. Today, everything changes. Today, everything changes for some people. Today, everything changes. You promised that you would bring them out, but God, you never promised that you were going to force them out. They have to pivot. They have to confess. With every eye closed and every head bowed, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you know that you know that you know that you're not sure if you're saved. I want you to lift your hand. I want to lead you to Jesus right now to start your month out of February the right way. I see you, sir. I'm very proud of that hand being lifted. 
Is there anyone else that wants to join him in this prayer? Anyone else? You ready to give your heart to Jesus? You're ready to take him up on his offer? To the gentleman with his hand lifted, join me in prayer. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I find myself enslaved. I find myself empty and exhausted. I find myself desperate. I need a Savior. And I need a Lord. And by faith, I confess with my mouth right now that Jesus Christ, you are Lord. You are the way, the truth, and the life. I don't understand all there is to know about you, but I've heard enough to know that I need you as my Savior. And I give you my heart right now in the name of Jesus. I receive it by faith, the grace, and the mercy of God. Amen. Let's clap our hands to the Lord. Awesome. All right, before you go home, if you're a guest today, thank you so much for being here. Growth Track is for our guests as well. But if you're not sure if you want to commit to something like that, I'd love to at least meet you. Please let me meet you. I want to get to know you. I want to answer any questions you have. Just for kicks, all the Patriots fans, make some noise. Just for kicks. All the Eagles fans, just for kicks, make some noise. Man, it sounds like a terrible Super Bowl. How about them cowboys, somebody?